Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, former Kansas gubernatorial candidate Jack Bergeson joins me to discuss the firing of Conan and Manafort, Trump's military parade, and more. I'll also talk to him about being one of the youngest candidates for statewide office in America. Hi guys, um, I wanted to record this segment really quickly because um, th- this episode was recorded on August 25th, it was a Saturday, um, and there is a segment in the, the video, or in the, the broadcast, where my guest and I, Jack Bergeson, we talk about news that John McCain had been taken off cancer treatment. That was the news at the time, and we talk about that in the episode, as you will as you will hear later on. Um, just hours after uh, Jack and I recorded the episode, it was reported that John McCain had passed. Um, so I am recording this after this one disclaimer uh, and this tribute after. Um, John McCain's passing, um, very, very sad, um, but this, I, I, I just wanted to talk about my thoughts on John McCain as a person, I just kind of wanted to go off script a little bit and talk about how great of a person John McCain was now John McCain I I had to, I had his differences with him you know politically um I I didn't agree with him on uh certain issues especially regarding foreign policy but John McCain was such an amazing human being he was as you'll see in in the broadcast and I don't want to give too much away my guest Jack Bergeson, he makes up brings up a great point, which is that the Republican Party lost a great man. Um, they lost um, a gr- it's a huge or it's a huge loss for the Republican Party because we see now that politics is becoming more and more divisive, and yet in terms of this divisiveness and all this heated rhetoric. We had this man who was just so civilized. I mean, go look at... There There was an interview when John McCain was running for president when he was the Republican nominee for president in 2008. And he was on the show Ellen. 
and uh, Ellen, Ellen is is uh, is a lesbian, but Ellen, the issue of gay marriage talk came up because Ellen was talking about that with her with her partner, and um, she's like, "Well, what are your thoughts on gay marriage to to McCain?" And the two of them are disagreeing, but it, it's it's so civilized. And John McCain, the, the two of them respected each other. You know, they were on the opposite side. Ellen was obviously for gay marriage, uh, or Ellen DeGeneres was obviously for gay marriage. John McCain was against it. But they were both, or at least at the time, but they were both civilized about it and McCain says listen I I understand we have a civil disagreement about that and and this was 10 years ago when this came out and it's already just 10 years later it's just shocking how much we've lost that in today's heated political climate um in 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 the way just yeah, it, it's just amazing how civilized and how compassionate he was. You can say whatever you want about him, but there's no denying that John McCain was a war hero. John McCain, the, John McCain was a man who put people before himself. He put, he put himself second to others and that was that was one of the great qualities that I I I just totally admire about him he had the chance he was tortured he 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 fought for our country and he was tortured and he had the chance to be let free early but instead he didn't want to abandon the other men that were being held in captivity the other United States uh, service members that were being held in, in captivity. And if you, th- this, this was just a man, I'm trying to think of how to word this. I'm doing this off script. I just learned about an hour ago ab- about this. If you go back to 2008, when John McCain was running against Barack Obama, he there there was this one rally where there was this 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 woman and she says to John McCain she says oh Barack Obama he is he is a muslim he's he's an arab he's a terrorist yada yada all these horrible horrible bigoted things and John McCain turns around and he says no ma'am and and she says no and he says no ma'am he is a great family man he is uh, a great human being, a great American, a great person, and he's just a man that I happen to have big disagreements with. I, I mean, and to think, I mean, if we look at the past election, it's very, not, not to take sides at anybody, but it's very hard to imagine either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton doing something like that. But it just goes to show the heart that John McCain had. Um, and he, and again, John McCain was a great man. He was a great father. 
He was a great husband. He was just... He's the type of person we strive to be. Um, and I think America lost a great person. I think uh, the Republican Party to which he was affiliated with lost a great person. I think anybody who has any involvement in politics, I think this was a great loss to them too because we lost a man that represented civility in the community. And um, I'm very, very, I'm very sad to see what had happened, but my 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 thoughts and prayers go out to um to John McCain's family and his wife and his daughter and I wish them the best in these these troubled times and it, he was just a remarkable man again I didn't agree with him politically I didn't agree with him on foreign intervention but Whenever I watch old clips of John McCain, um, I I I just think I just think we've lost such we just lost this great just this this way of sitting down and talking with people we disagree with and just having a conversation. No, you're stupid. None of this, you're a dumbass, you're stupid. It's just sitting down and having a conversation like adults, which, which you know, I think all of us try to do. I mean, I try to do that, but I, you know, even I, oftentimes I get a little hostile during debates. I mean, I won't lie. But John McCain was just a man that that knew how to, he knew how to talk about issues with other people like a civilized adult. And again, my, my thoughts and condolences go out to the family. And I, I just hope that they, that they're all right in this, in this very, very troubling time because John McCain was a war hero. He was an amazing father and an amazing human being and he will truly be missed. Hold on. Okay. Hi guys. Welcome to Politics Weekly. I am here this week with a very, very special guest. He was a candidate for governor. He was a Democratic candidate for governor of Kansas in 2018 uh, he's become a good uh, friend of mine. He's um, he didn't win, but most people say he could only get one percent of the vote. He got nearly four percent of the vote that night. Uh, Jack Bergeson, thank you for joining me, Jack. It's great to be on. So the way we typically do this is typically we we talk about the news of this week. But before we do that, I'd like to ask you a few questions about your campaign. So my first question is. Uh, Jack, why did you want to be governor in the first place? What, what, 
sparked your idea of okay, I need to be governor. I I, I should I should do this. I should run. And then also, well, two things uh, to add on your point. Um, in in 2014, which was considered a wave year for Republicans, that you know they gained a bunch of seats in the House and the governor's races, they took back the Senate. In spite of that, they had issues in uh, in red states. They had ballots in red states as to whether they wanted to raise the minimum wage, and those red states overwhelmingly voted yes, even though it was a wave year for Republicans and they were in red states. And then also, um, I'd like to point out the same night they had the primary, the Republican primaries for Senate against Claire McCaskill and Cortland Sykes, who is a Republican there, he got national attention and he got, um, he was on, uh, he was endorsed by Joe Arpaio. He did worse in his primary than you did in your primary. Yes, and there's also another great actor. Um, on the Republican on the Republican side, there was there was a wealthy businessman and pastor by the name of Patrick Cristera who ran in the Republican primary. He got about he got about what two thousand votes, and he spent over a quarter of a million dollars. I spent about three thousand dollars and got about twice as many votes as he did. And yeah. I say that's Yeah. Uh, now going on to my next question, you 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 said, you know, what Democrats need to focus on. Do you think that Democrats running from high office, I've seen some Democrats that have suggested they move away from the issue of Trump and they start talking about actual progressive issues. Do you agree with this? Why or why not? Oh, definitely. Voters for Trump, you know, a lot of people like to pinch Trump from voters as, you know, racist or sexist. I mean, of course, he had those people that supported him for those reasons. But I think a lot, there were a lot of Americans who voted for him despite all these things because he was saying things like that we're going to make the food change or we're going to keep your jobs here. He was saying these progressive things in his speeches sometimes. And Hillary Clinton was saying things. He kind of, he went to the left on some important issues of Hillary and rhetoric and, it, and that really brought the people up saying she's not like about the things he is. I'm going to vote for him even outside of it. We have Democrats who are going in there and saying yes. We are going to do these things that Atlanta National Trump never really laid out a plan, but he was only he was already saying things. Democrats need to say, we're gonna do this and here's how we're gonna do it. And that's what I did in my campaign, and that's why we need all expectations, and that's why the Democrats and progressives really that have say, yes, we're gonna raise the minimum wage, we're gonna do this with health care, we're going to legalize marijuana. Let their campaign on these things explain why they're good. And I think with the, with what I've seen public opinion polling, that would probably lead to a very large democratic majority. 
Now, that's interesting you mentioned legalizing marijuana. Now, do you believe, I know there's a debate amongst those that agree with legalizing marijuana about whether it should be taxed and regulated. Do you believe it should be taxed and regulated? I know, yes, I campaigned on this. It's one of my major issues because I believe if you do legalize it, tax regulate it, you can use those funds to help with education. Kansas is currently, we've had a lot of education funding problems due to our Republican administration. And so I really propose that as a way to get our education platform to really help to bolster up our education program and our infrastructure program, which are two of our most lacking areas right now. Um, but I really think that is the most sensible way to go about it, especially with where our state's finances are. Mm. Um, I guess if there was a state that, that didn't necessarily need to um, levy an extra tax on it because they're already well within, well within the plan, I think that would be a different conversation in a different state. But I think with Kansas, you would have to legalize it. And then then maybe possibly have a different tier for medical, maybe not tax medical. You know, it could be a whole different, you know, you could have different ways of doing it. But I think I campaigned on taxing and regulating because I think that's what it means to help bolster our revenue, our revenue stream. Interesting. Um, now, my next question is, what do you think are the prospects for, do you think that there is a high chance of Democrats nominating a progressive for president in 2020? If if the contest is not swayed like it was in 2015, I mean, if you look at the documents, people high up in the DNC really did try to tip the scale. If, if something like that does not happen again, I believe yes. But I'm also afraid that there will be a lot more people running in 20, 2020. There will likely be 15 Democrats running like there was 15 Republicans running. And so we may not be able to get a clear nominee and the establishment may that 15 the nominee at the convention. I would say if it was going to be a true battle for the spirit of the party, I would say yes, but I think a lot more will be involved in it. And it's hard to say at this point, I think, until we know who the candidates are, the line of second life, what fundraising looks like. I mean, I ultimately think that if you made me bet today, I bet the nominee is Bernie Sanders, but that's really hard to say based on how much we know right now, which is not a lot. Do you think there's going to be another kitty table debate? Because if you remember with the Republicans, there were so many candidates in 2016 that they had to put the candidates that weren't doing really well in a separate debate. Um, and then they had to have the can the top 10 candidates that were doing really well in a different debate. Do you think that could happen with the Democrats? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm not in favor of that system, but I guess it's, I mean, I would be in favor of having two prime time debates. Um, not regulating, not regulating one to a lesser time slot, but um, I believe that it will be necessary to have two debates more than likely, at least early on in the process. I think ultimately, I think unlike the, unlike the Republicans, I think it'll win a much trouble. I, I bet you by the time we hit November, it'll be three people, but there, there will be a few months where there will be a lot of candidates. I will be shocked if the field is less than 10 people. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there are some people that would, before the Trump era would have never considered for president that will work for president. Um, yeah. Anyways, what are the upsides and the downsides uh, to to campaigning, or to your campaign, to your gubernatorial campaigns? What were the upsides and the downsides? Like, what do you mean? Like, what would okay? What was the best part of your campaign, and what well, what was the best part of the campaign, and what was the worst part of the campaign? I think the best part is 
I always kind of enjoyed doing the, the forums and debates and talking to people afterward. And this is where we went out a lot of, and that's how I think I got a lot of people on my side. It's been, because I, you know, in a former debate, I was often one or one of two candidates who was speaking exclusively on substance. Um, some of the other candidates, they were not necessarily focused. focus. And people really saw through that. They kind of, they would look at me and say, yes, yes, I really appreciate you out there talking the issues. It was really good because I was able to really get a feel that people hunger for it. I think it's really good to have politicians talk on the issue. Um, I think it's just I needed, I didn't, I wasn't able to raise as much money, and I did have some skepticism being from people that may have otherwise voted for me. So I think there was, I mean, a play factor. I could have done a little bit better had that not been a factor. You know, had I been able to raise the money, that would have also helped. Um, yeah. But I think for what it was, it was a very people. It to me showed that people were just looking for a different for um, true progressivism. But also the worst part was, you know, again, I think just how hard it was to get off the ground and how the fact that so much of it, like you know, the other candidates were able to do better simply because they have discover the loophole that around that allowed you to run for governor at such a young age um that i, I came across that in an online article especially a wikipedia article that listed like it had like a, like a table and it listed all of like the 50 states and what their requirements were for you know all the state word offices and, that, and such and i was I just like i wonder i just kind of thought i wonder what kansas is what and so when i scrolled down and i found kansas i was you know, I was kind of there was none, and so you know, you know, eventually, you know, because I felt like you know, I got to make sure this is the real deal. I like the next day, I called the Secretary of State's office and confirmed with them that that there was in fact no loophole. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, I began I began planning it. I see. Um, and how did your your friends and family react when you said, "Okay, this is what I want to do. I want to run for governor." Okay, um, now what made you choose Alexander Klein as your running mate? Um, well, we go to school together, and I think he would be a good fit. Cause I always believe, and it's been sort of, I would believe that people, whether they're running for government or president and vice president, the important pick someone who has a common set of ideals, but also is different than you. Because you know what I have to do, and someone wants you to say whatever you say. Well, okay, so I think we should do the same things, but I think we have the same common set and goals, and I believe we would make a good team, and we also have different personalities, and I think it would work very well. It would not be, you know, just a circle joke. It actually would have been a very, we would have been able to work together very well. 
Okay. Um, now, my next question... Hold on, let me pull it up. Okay. So, my next question is, um, will you ever run again for political office? I mean, it's too early to say that now, but I, I do believe that if I can the right next thing in this area, I will run. Okay. Um, now, the next question I have is... Uh, currently, you have uh, an independent in your governor's race named Greg Orman. Uh, do you think he could be an asset or a liability to the Democrats? I actually think he could be both, and we don't see it. Um, the one poll that I've seen that includes him and both the Democrat and the Republican candidates shows the Democratic candidate winning barely, but I don't fully necessarily trust that poll. It's been by a Republican um, polling firm, so I don't know how much I trust it, but... Um, there are some people that say he will get from conservatives who are unwilling to vote for Chris Kobach, and there are other people who say he will get disaffected Democrats who aren't big fans of Lauren Kelly. So we don't really know yet who is going to help, whether it be Lauren Kelly or whether it be Chris Kobach. Um, I, I tend to believe that he will help the Democrats, but that is, again, it's just a little too early to be talking about who he will help, who program will help in the general, because um, he may end up taking equal amounts from both sides. Um, all right. Um, now, if you could go back and do it all again, would you do it? Yes, we were able to. It was it was a really rewarding experience to be to really get out there and talk issues to people, and people really really responded well to that. And we were able to change the discourse within the Democratic Party, and I did force some of my fellow candidates um, to the left on a few issues, and I believe that it's important that we hold our elections. All right, so um, the next question I have, this is the last question before you and I get into the news, but here, here's my question. This is a little bit more of a challenging question. Will you, now that you, you've lost and Laura Kelly is your nominee, will you support Laura Kelly for governor this year? Um, this is an interesting question because I have made the personal decision that I will be in favor of her but I at this time have not made a I have not made a public endorsement. Okay. Because I was a very I was very critical of she was the only, she was really the only candidate I was ever highly critical of. She's saying some donations that I believe are problematic, and she's made some votes that I believe are problematic. But with the race thing between her and Crystal, I believe she's the better candidate, and I probably will be issuing a formal endorsement here sooner than later, only because I believe she is she is. Well, one one more quick question. Um, Joshua Savady, I believe, had, is that how you pronounce his last name, Savady or Savady? Savady, okay. So he, um, I know he came under controversy at one point because they discovered some old positions he used to have, and he used to be pro-life on a number of issues, and a lot of people were concerned about that, and I think... Planned Parenthood said he was an extremist. Were you concerned about that, and would you be concerned if he ended up being the nominee? I actually think he would have been a far better nominee than Laura Kelly. He was actually willing to issue ran a 105 state strategy and really tried to engage the whole state back in the way he was going to be a candidate. He was actually like that in the 
have viewed the issue differently. Hey, if he did step back and he did, and during this campaigning, said he would not enact any restrictions um, for the restrictions on abortion, and he picked the pro-choice woman running mate. I really kind of, he really did try to change his position on that, and I, I don't believe he would have been. But also, I believe that would have been, that would have happened in the general election, because there are a lot of moderates in Kansas who might be willing to vote for pro-life Democrats. Yeah. And I think he could have used that to his advantage. And I, I honestly, I'm kind of a, I'm a, Dem- I'm a very progressive Democrat, but there are two issues I'm willing to let slide in favor of winning red states and that's abortion and that's guns. You know, I, I lean right on those issues anyway. I mean, especially on, especially on Second Amendment rights, but uh, I'm, uh, on the abortion issue, I more believe in safe and legal. Um, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that say, you know, Get rid of abortion that will only cause way more problems than solve. Um, so the only thing we just have to think about ways to be reasonable on that issue, and the best way is to make it safe, make it legal, but also make it rare. That you know, mm. the education and contraceptives and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a plan. I had a, I had a whole plan for my campaign. I had a really detailed policy plan on well, and if, that issue. Yeah, and if you look at Paulette Jordan. Uh, the, she's a progressive. She's the Democratic nominee for governor of Idaho this year. She's a progressive, but she's also uh, she's also said to be more moderate on issues like the Second Amendment and abortion. Um, but anyways, why don't we get into some? Of I, think the, I think that's the key to Democrats in states like Idaho and Kansas and stuff. Yeah. Well, we are we are seeing competitive governorships. Um, I mean Idaho and. I was impressed in South Dakota. I'm actually really excited because I think the Democrats could have a chance of winning there. Yeah. Well, and even if the the Democrats don't win in South Dakota, I mean, it, let's say it's a, like the Republican wins by three points. Okay, the Democrats didn't win, but that changes the game forever because South Dakota is a state that hasn't had... The last time a Democrat won in South Dakota was in 1974 or won a governor's race in South Dakota was in 1974. The last time a race was even in competitive was in 1986. If a Democrat this year comes even close to winning South Dakota, that's huge. Yeah, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm really excited for that race. And Oklahoma, Denver, and they've had one more recently, but I think that state, I'm very, I mean, the Midwest is turning blue in a big way this year. It's very exciting to watch. Yeah. Anyway, so why don't we get into the news? So the first news story I wanted to talk about, I was kind of debating as to whether this was a political story or not, but I I decided to do so. It's very disturbing, but I decided to include it because it did include Josh Shapiro, who is the Pennsylvania Attorney General. He's a Democrat. Um, So right as you've you've probably already heard, it was recently uncovered that there were more cover-ups in the Catholic Church regarding sex abuse scandals, and the Pope, Pope Francis came under, under pressure for this. This was uncovered by Josh Sapiro, the Pennsylvania Attorney General. Um, he, it was discovered that there was a number of sex abuse cover-ups, um, and Pope Francis... Uh, He's now he he came under fire for a little while because he uh, did not respond uh, for a couple days, but now he's responded and he just went to Ireland today, as of the time of us recording this, to talk about it. What are your thoughts on this uh, this disturbing news? 
this whole issue kind of goes back to need more transparency in large organizations, whether that be the Catholic Church, whether it be the federal government. I think people can get away with corruption. I also think I have, a, you know, it's a very interesting small question. I think Hey, okay. Can you repeat that for one second? I couldn't hear that last part. Yeah, sorry. Um, I think it's very important that. else you wanted to say about this issue? No, it, it's a really troubling issue, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot. Recently. Yeah. I think there, the, the magnitude of what it will take to fix the problem is so huge. Uh, it's, it's, it would take an hour for me to all right, so why don't we move on to, it is a very disturbing story, um, and my heart goes out to all the victims. Um, moving on, though, um, Recently, uh, another sad story, uh, Aretha Franklin died, but I guess um, Fox News actually had a gaffe a little while ago because they were doing a commemoration of Aretha Franklin, but they accidentally put footage of Patti LaBelle in the background thinking it was Aretha Franklin. So recently they've apologized for that. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? And I mean, of course, some people say it's racist, and, you know, they couldn't. I don't really think that. I think it was someone probably within the, within the department that is in charge of preparing graphics, and they made a mistake. I, you know, I think it's, it's careless. You can't deny that, that it's a very careless error. And especially when it's supposed to be someone like, someone as important in our culture. It's a reason for they should have done their due diligence and double check. If they weren't sure, that's not good. Aretha Franklin, if they were sure. 
else or So right now, the Democrats might have a chance to take back the United States House of Representatives this year. But if they do that, they have a question. Are they go if after that? Who will be their speaker? Will Nancy Pelosi continue to be speaker, or will a new person take the reins? So right now, um, House assists. Uh, so the current House Minority Whip. Let me look up what his name is. House Minority. Hold on. Already whip. So right now, the House Minority Whip is Steny Hoyer, uh, and many times that might that might be a sign that he's going to be the next speaker because he's House uh, Minority Whip, which is a big role. He's number two in the House. But the problem is, is many Democrats have been hoping for more diversity, a more diverse choice. And that might not be the best choice with Steny Hoyer. Also, Steny Hoyer is nearly 80 years old and has been having many health issues. However, recently, House Assistant Democratic Leader uh, Jim Clyburn, Democrat from South Carolina, says he will run for Speaker if Nancy Pelosi steps down. That's not saying he wants Nancy Pelosi to step down, but he's saying that if she is forced out, he will run for that office. Um, now it should be noted he does uh, he is an African American man and if he were to become speaker he would become the first African American speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, however, he is seventy nine years old and many Democrats have been hoping for a much younger uh, choice. Some even hoping for a speaker that might be younger than a than half a century old. What are your thoughts on Jim Clyburn throwing his hat into the ring? And Well, first of all, what are your thoughts on Nancy Pelosi? Why don't we get to that first? What are your thoughts on Nancy Pelosi as a speaker, and do you think she should step down or not? I think Nancy Pelosi needs to step down for the good of the party. She is putting herself ahead of the party and ahead of, and a, and ahead of, the, and ahead of the needs of the American people by continuing to serve in her role as Speaker of the House, as Minority Leader and probably next Speaker. What we need to do is we need to get someone who, ha- and I really, I mean, I think, I mean, Jim Clyburn would be a much better choice than Pelosi, but ultimately, because um, I just, I believe Pelosi has not only been in it too long, she's, a, you know, the Republicans, you know, some of this is unfair because the Republicans will use her as a punching bag, right? Yeah. You know, they'll run ads in a congressional race in a middle yeah. America thing. Don't vote for this person because, you know. Well, um, Sherry's David's. Look at Sher- I was watching an ad against Sherry's Davids, 
with Kevin Yoder, and they're like, Kevin Yoder's so great, he's been an independent voice, but Sharice Davids works for Nancy Pelosi. People aren't falling for that this year, but I still think it's a very it's the way Republicans can use her, and I think getting rid of her, despite my personal dislike of her, because I think she's way too moderate. She, you know, she killed the uh, public option in Obamacare. Um, she's she's hurt progressive action on in, in major pushes for legislation such as in Obamacare. And I think when you can look at her and think she's not the progressive leader we need, um, and I think that's why we need a. Um, we need a progressive. We need a progressive to be House Minority Leader, and hopefully Speaker. Um, I think there are not a lot of actually. I, I mean, I would kind of. There are very few people that I would say would make an. There are a few people who are need to be elected in this cycle that I think would be very good, but you can't come into. You just can't walk in and say I want to be Speaker. Yeah. Um, you have to find somebody who's been there, um, and I think there are some better options. I actually. Um, there's a what there's one congressman who's pretty young, he's in the progressive. Um, that I, I like can't remember his name for the life of you on the of you. What about Linda Sanchez? Because Linda Sanchez is forty nine and I've heard some talks that she might be running eventually for speaker. I what state is she from? Uh California. Same state as Pelosi. I, I think I think as much as actually the person I was thinking of was California too, which is as much as I would like to say, let's put another let's put her in there as, as great as she might be. The problem is I think we need to find a Democratic speaker from either the South or from the West. Um, yeah. we need to find someone because I, that's how the Republicans have been able to use Pelosi as a punching bag. She's from California, she's from San Francisco. Yeah. That work using an attack ad works great with modern Republican voters. Oh yeah. We have to find some. We have to find someone from a. We have to find a. There is actually a couple people that are, might come in this year that I think would be great. In my opinion, it's really hard to find necessarily yeah. someone who is currently in there that I think meets all the requirements. But I think we definitely we definitely need to get her. We need to, we need to find a, a younger and at least more progressive. But in my, my opinion, a lip a litmus test for any speaker would be that they have to have co-signed one of the Medicare for all bills. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because um, if we look at John Boehner, John Boehner, who was the Republican Speaker of the House, he was from uh, Ohio, not a red state. That's a purple state. And then he was... Uh, and then Paul Ryan is from Wisconsin, another purplish state. It was originally a blue state at the time. It's kind of become more purplish since Trump won it. Um, and now if we look at the people that are running to replace Paul Ryan, the front runners right now are Kevin McCarthy, who's from California, a blue state. And then there's um, uh, the guy from, I can't remember what his name was. Um, Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan from Ohio and Ohio. So we're back to Ohio. We're back to the purple state. So it's interesting that you say that because you, you, you can do that. You can say, oh, this person is a Massachusetts, this guy is a California liberal and you can paint them as hard blue. What I'm, what I'm interested in is because I've had progressive guests on before and I've asked them about Nancy Pelosi and some of them have been a little bit hesitant about 
kicking out Nancy Pelosi. I had Omar Yacobi on. He's a recurring guest that I have on. He's a progressive, and he was saying he didn't want her to leave because back in the early 2000s, she was a vocal opponent for the Iraq war and supported some progressive causes. Do you agree with him on that or no? I think she was good in her time, at least initially. I think before, I think initially in her time, she was a good leader for the Democrats, but I think as time goes on, she has only created more problems than she has solved. And I think we really need to look at um, finding someone who is going to be a all right is there anything else you want to say on this movie or on this story no not other than i think that we just we need to find someone who is willing to fight with the progressive issues that are not only now if you look at it like at least the plurality of republicans want medicare but we need to find someone who's willing to stand up for the issues of medicare for all from now leave marijuana legalization these issues but it's not support of any of them but even democrats sometimes don't want to touch it because they don't think it's they don't think it's perfect, or even though it is. We need, we need to find Democrats. We need to find someone who would like that and get to the more modern Democrats to vote for these proposals. That's the only way for the Democrats to stay in power. All right. So it's looking like Steve Bannon is making a new movie uh, right now. Let me look up what the title of it is real quick. So... So apparently this new movie, it is meant to try and energize Republicans... Uh, to try and go out to vote again, and it's um, water, and it's supposed to be about. Um, it's supposed to remind people about um, the uh, Hillary Clinton's quote about America being a bunch of deplorables um, and whatnot, and he's hoping that that will energize Republicans to go out and win in the midterms. Um, what are your thoughts on this new movie, and do you think it will be an effective strategy to help Republicans uh, survive in the midterms? I really don't. I mean, part of the movies have been shown they don't they don't really make an impact. I mean, of course, they might have a split, but a lot of Republicans, especially with the developments we're seeing in the Trump corruption scandal, that I think a lot of those Republicans. A lot, of, especially a lot of the moderate Republicans are going to consider voting for Democrats, and a lot, of, and especially some of them, uh, that a lot of the people in terms of the bringing out usually don't vote. Um, I think a lot of the people that they will, they, they will probably plan on staying home this year, um, not guaranteed, but I think I will be shocked if it makes a more than one percent difference in the results. Um, most mo- most of the time, those partisan movies, whether they be on the left or whether they be on the right, don't really change the really don't change the outcome of what happens and, and they try to and especially he is a horrible arbiter of um of what will happen in the future um I think he endorsed more and more I think people are going to see I mean more and more lost than like the most red state in the country yeah um, I, I believe Steve Bannon is not a he is he is less in touch with the American people than Nancy Pelosi you know like, yeah I agree. Um, anything else you you have, you want to say about this issue? Not really, other than I think that he's going to try to make himself seem important, but he's never been important. I see. So why don't we move on to uh, the Trump military parade? So the Trump military parade has been postponed inevitably. 
Uh, Trump was trying to blame the mayor of Washington, uh, D.C. for this. Uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C. fired back at him. They kind of got into a titter-tatter. But it's looking like it's almost 100% canceled as of this point. What were your thoughts on the Trump military parade? I saw some people make, have different views about this. Uh, some people argued that it was a great way to honor our troops. Others argued it was a waste of taxpayer money. What, what's your thoughts on this? You know, I believe it was a huge waste of money, and I believe it was Trump was going to do it to stroke his own ego, like he always does. I believe he is not a dictator, but he shows a lot of the personality traits of, it, of the same kinds of people that have been dictators in the past and are currently dictators in the ego. He shows that we are bound by the Constitution. I believe that that was done. If we did not have the Constitution in place, I would be very afraid. Um, but I think also it was a huge waste of money because, in my opinion, if you wanted to truly honor the truth, what you could do with the money you were making on big Sorry, I couldn't hear that last part. Could you repeat that? You know, you know I, I think it is the idea of a military parade is a huge waste of money because instead of, you know, doing a big parade, if you want to actually honor troops, here's what you need to do. You, need, you know, we, we could we could help, you know, we could, we could help on beef up the VA. Um, we could help make sure that we have proper, make sure that we have proper treatment for PTSD, making sure that we pay our, our troops, if you look at them, they do not, like infantry troops, the starting pay is horrendous. We need to raise our troop pay, we need to um, raise living conditions, we need to, you know, we need to make sure that they are able to get health care and mental health care that they need. And right now we're not providing for that. And I mean, the fact that we have over, I think, like 10% of the homeless population in our country is veterans. That is a problem. That is that is a disgrace. That's what the money should be spending. Not fixing those problems. Not spent on a parade. All right. Anything else you, you want to say about this? And I agree with you that there are many other things we could be focused on. Um, are, is there anything else you want to say on this issue? No, nope, I think I think I, I think I covered it. All right. So why don't we move on to uh, Democrats to Governor Andrew Cuomo. So last week we covered Cuomo's controversial comment where he was um, he was in front of an audience and he said, America was never that great. Um, would uh, America? We will achieve true great. We haven't achieved greatness yet, but we will achieve true greatness when every uh, person is granted equal treatment in this country. Or that was essentially the gist of what he said. Uh, he got a polarized reaction, not just after he said that, you know, from the media and online, but he also got it from the audience because there were some people that were cheering him on. In the audience, if you watch that video, and there were others that were actually booing him. Um, Trump went after him. Um, some people, you know, aside from that, it got a very polarized response. Um, now Andrew Cuomo is rolling back that statement. He's the governor of my state, of course, New York. He's rolling back those comments saying that America was always great. Now, his comment got very mixed reaction. Many people are thinking have said that what Cuomo is essentially saying is that America was never, you know, he's essentially not, he, he's essentially undermining America's greatness and that it it's just a disgrace and everything, while others have argued that he was taken out of context. 
What were your thoughts on Governor Cuomo's statement, and do you think it was right for him to roll back uh, those comments? I think what he was trying to say makes sense. The way he said it doesn't. If I were Cuomo, here's what I would have said to get the same sentiment across. You know, because I would have said very much. When Trump says, let's make America great again, what does he really mean by that? Because, I mean, what time do you want to take America back to? I mean, if you go back to the 1950s, you're dealing with segregation, you're dealing with stuff like the Little Rock Nine. Do you want to go back to the time when we were fighting over segregation and blacks didn't have equal treatment? Do you want to go back to the Vietnam War era? Do you want to, is that when America was truly great? I mean, that's really the argument that the Democrats are often making is when, when, do, when do the Trump people think that America was great? Um, because the further you go back, the further we have less protections on women or that we have less worker protections. We, you know, the more time we go back, less influence unions have, the less, um, the less protections that were there for minorities. So you just go back there, like, do we do at a time, do you want to go back to the, you know, the 1850s, 1960s when, you know, we had child labor and we had slavery? Is that what they mean? And I think that's what I'm almost trying to say is that, that America is current, is always looking, it's been on an improvement path. But yet there's still a lot of problems we need to address. But the way he said it was tacky um, and came off the wrong way. And I, and I, I actually, but if I was him, I would have said, if I was him, I would have, I wouldn't have rolled it back. I said, okay, I didn't explain myself very well. And then I would have kind of given a more detailed explanation. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say on this issue? Nope. All right. So why don't we move on? Oh, oh, one more question I had. Do you believe that this is going to hurt Cuomo's presidential chances? Because many people, it's very much assumed, especially here in New York, that Andrew Cuomo is going to run for the presidency in 2020, challenging President Trump. Do you think this could hurt his chances? No, I, I think in a primary, probably wouldn't hurt him very much. But I mean, my opinion is I doubt he'll be renominated. Um, for for his chance to be governor again. So do you think Cynthia Nixon is going to be the nominee? Yep, I I, I have I have really strong feelings on that. People or people are angry at the establishment. So some people are arguing that the poll numbers aren't in her favor. Um, there are some poll numbers that say that she that Cuomo is winning like he has like sixty something percent and uh and she has twenty something percent. There are polls where he's winning by nearly forty points. Do you think that that will have an effect on the overall primary since he has such a big lead? Or do you think that it's going to be like in 2016 where the polls mean absolutely nothing? In a primary, it's always very hard to gauge the poll. And I think he has the enthusiasm and he doesn't. Um, and I think that's one of the differences. She's running a very strong campaign and he's kind of just gliding on. I think he's going to set it. If she if he ends up holding out, it'll be close. It'll be disgraced, and I don't think he'll be able to run because he'll be disgraced by a close primary win. And it should have been an easy victory. Yeah. So, um, and what was I gonna say? Um, oh yeah. So before we move on, I just wanted to say one other thing. Um, a next week we're gonna have our tenth episode, and there's gonna be a special guest returning. He's been on a couple of times, and then the other thing to Jack's point about Cynthia Nixon. Uh, stay tuned because we're also, I'm also going to do, um, a, uh, a debate analysis, uh, of the Cynthia Nixon versus Andrew Cuomo primary debate. So stay tuned for that. But anyways, let's get back to the news. Let's get on to the next story. 
So, 538 has released a new poll that shows that Democrats are favored 75% to win the House of Representatives. Um, Now, a lot of people believe that Democrats were favored to win the House this year, but now 538 is saying they have a 75% chance of winning back the House. Now, Jack, do you believe that... First of all, do you believe Democrats will take back the House of Representatives this year? And do you believe that this poll is an accurate, uh, you know, is this an accurate depiction of what might happen? Or do you think after the 2016 election, going back to what we said about the polls, do you think the polls aren't going to have an effect? I think it's, we don't know what voter turnout is going to be like. I think it, I, I kind of expect the Democrats win back the house, but I think it will be, I don't know what the chances are necessarily, but I'm kind of more skeptical on trusting any sort of prediction model at this point. I think that there are some people that are showing, there's some races that are competitive, that people are claiming are not competitive, and there are some races that people are claiming are not competitive, that I think, you know, are competitive. So I don't think it's just, I don't have that, that trust that I've been in all right. Anything else you want to say on this issue? No, other than I think we, if the Democrats don't win the House, it's, there's going to be a problem. I think that, that we need to put a check on the Trump administration or possibly the upcoming Pence administration. Um, make sure the Democrats are there to stop her, um, any more of those sort of policies from going through. Do you think... Do you think that if Democrats don't win back the House in 2018, do you think it's going to be hard for Democrats to win back the White House in 2020? It, it's not, it would not be a good thing if they don't. Um, like in 2006, the Democrats won the House and they, moved, they won the White House. Yeah. Republican Revolution of 1994, but Bill Clinton and Cameron in 1996. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. Um, and and Republicans did very well in the 2010 midterms. I mean, they gained 63 seats in the House, and they gained and they didn't take back the Senate, but they gained a number of seats in the Senate, and they took back a majority of governorships throughout the country. Two years later, uh, uh, Mitt Romney falls to Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he was one of the worst candidates ever put up on the Republican Party. Yeah. But, um, I agree. Donald Trump. I, 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 I agree that Mitt Romney was not a good candidate at all. I think, I think, because the Republicans, part of the reason they did well was because they were campaigning on an anti-Obamacare message. And if they got an anti-Obamacare candidate, maybe they could have riled up their Tea Party base, but they didn't. They got pretty much the, 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 granddaddy of Obamacare because if you look at what Mitt Romney did in Massachusetts he, he did that and I think that alienated a lot of Republicans definitely yeah anything else you want to say on this issue or sorry can you repeat that real quick I'm good oh you're good okay so why don't we move on to uh, a Michigan State Senate race 
So this got national attention. So right now there is an open seat in the Michigan State Senate that Democrats, and there's a Democratic primary right now between State Representative Betty Cook, or Betty Cook Scott, who is an African-American woman, and Stephanie Chang, who is a, an Asian-American woman. They're both vying for the Democratic nomination. But recently, Representative Scott had to make a, um, a, uh, an apology because she released a poster critis- attacking her opponent, and it said on the, pon- on the poster, it said, Don't vote for the Ching Chong, referring to her Asian-American opponent. Uh, this was immediately labeled as racist, and she apologized for, uh, for calling her this. What are your thoughts on this, and do you believe what she said was racist? I think it was at the very least insensitive, um, and she shouldn't have said that, and I think that will ultimately turn off a lot of voters from, from her and possibly to, uh, to her um, opponent. else you want to comment on this issue all right let's move on to michael aventi so last week we talked about michael aventi the um the stormy daniels lawyer potentially running for political office or potentially running for president i should say commander-in-chief he started an exploration committee but it was unclear whether that would go anywhere and it's still unclear but it's looking like he's continuing to take a step closer to running for president in 2020. And um, earlier this week, on he was on C-SPAN on a segment for their Road to 2020, the White Road to the White House 2020 series, uh, where he held an event in New Hampshire um, talking about his, um, he, uh, what he would do if he won the nomination um, and what he would do if he became president. Interestingly, he wasn't talking about, he didn't say, if I run, he said, if I get the nomination or if I become president, which makes it more likely that he might run. Uh, And also this week, he started a super PAC, which was a little bit contradictory because he originally said on C-SPAN that he would not take corporate PAC money, um, even going as far as to say that candidates, current politicians that would make that pledge should give money back. Um, but now he is saying that, uh, but now he is going to take corporate PAC money. Um, so what are your thoughts on Michael Aventi running? Do you think he'd be a good candidate for 2020? And what are your thoughts? Sorry. He is the worst possible candidate the Democrats could put up in the 2020 election. I've looked at, and this is based on polling data, that he polled, he polled, he polled below 
Corey Booker. He pulled below all those, he pulled all below them. He pulled Trump, pulled, like, in a race that theoretically between my Illuminati and Trump, Trump would win that race if it were held today. Chances are Trump would win regardless. Um, and I think that's what we need to address. Do you think he has a chance of winning the Democratic nomination? No. I don't believe the Democrats are going... I, this is why I believe a progressive ultimately wins because I think the issue of corporate PAC money will be a big issue in 2020. The Democrats aren't going to vote for a candidate that takes corporate PAC money or that... I, I think someone like him is just going to come off as really fake, you know, the kind of elitist... Uh-huh. That we don't He's going to come off. He might... I think he'll drop out before, maybe at the time of the Iowa caucus is the latest. Um... Maybe he'll hold on to New Hampshire, but I doubt he'll go any further than New Hampshire. So, some people will argue that the same thing was said about Donald Trump, that he was such a joke fringe candidate, and now look where we are now. Do you think that that could happen with Michael uh, Avenatti? I don't know. Because with Trump, I, I actually, I never believed people. Maybe when he first ran, I never really believed him as a candidate. When, when, you know, when they said that, when that... When people when he said that you know because I always knew Trump he has of it he was the only Republican that was really talking to the bay um and he and he already had kind of name recognition um someone like Michael Avenatti a no one knows who the hell he is b he's he is Trump came off as authentic even though he wasn't he came off as that Michael Avenatti does not he does, he comes off as He's a good lawyer. I can't deny that. He's really good at his job. But I think as a political candidate, he's just not what people are going to be. Especially Democrats are going to be voting for in primary. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to say on this, or should we move on? Other than the fact that we just we cannot let people like Michael Avenatti murder president. We need the Democrats need to show him the door and say, no, we're not going to vote for you. And Do you think... Happen. We just need to... We need to, we need to tell the corporate Democrats to... to They'll leave our party the hell alone and go join the Republican. If he, if he were to run, how do I say this? If they have those debates, if they have the two debates, if they have the kitty table to the debate and the top ten debate, do you think he'd make it into the top ten debate or the kitty table debate? Depends on who all runs. I would actually lean towards the top ten. He would probably be like from the lower end of the top ten. Yeah. But it's also conceivable that he wouldn't make the top ten. It just all depends on who runs. Um, there are some minor, some um, lesser-known candidates that I would actually be kind of excited about. Um, Mitch, Mitch Landry is one of those candidates that I actually will consider supporting if he runs. But. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, why don't we continue on to the California Senate race, which will be between two Democrats. It's going to be between... Uh, it's going to be between California State Senator Kevin DeLeon. He is the progressive. He has the endorsement of the California Democratic Party. And he is running against, I believe, five-term incumbent, uh, Diane Feinstein. Well, now he's challenging her to a debate. So, uh, now, Diane Feinstein is saying that she doesn't have much time to debate him as she's currently focused on trying to prevent... Brett Kavanaugh for, to, uh, from being confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. However, she is saying uh, that she will debate him in October. Do you, uh, do you think 
that this is uh, good, and what are your thoughts on this? Kevin, Kevin DeLeon was not my first choice in that Senate primary. I had a, there was a couple of candidates that I thought were much more progressive. But Kevin DeLeon would be a much better choice um, than Diane Feinstein. And I actually think he has a shot because a lot of Republicans in that state might vote for him, even though he's more progressive, simply to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. Um, yeah. Since there are two Democrats on the ballot. Um, I think that is a completely logical situation. I think he very well has a chance of unseating her. Um, and I, I actually, you know, usually when a politician squirms out of a debate, I'm usually like, oh, come on. But I think with that Brett Kavanaugh, that is such a serious thing. If that's her excuse, and if she's really spending all of her time on that, I think we have to let her do that. But I think as soon as, as, soon as that has um, been decided, I think she needs to come to California and she needs to debate her opponent on television. I think it's silly. Or possibly, um, it should be easier for her have a house debate in D.C. and televise it into California. I mean, to be creative here, we need to have the debate, but we also need to make it so she can continue to fight. Um, um, and make sure that Kim and uh, they make sure that uh, Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. All right. So, um, is there anything else you want to add to that, or should we move on? No, I think we can move on. Okay, so... This Tuesday was not a great day for President Trump because two of his key allies were both uh, convicted. Uh, there was Paul Manafort and there was Michael Cohen. Um, uh, Paul Manafort was guilty on eight counts of financial fraud. Uh, what What were your thoughts on this? I think what this shows is that the president does not know how to keep a company and it also shows that Chances are, if you, if you can go, if you can trace it all the way to Cohen, and you can trace it all the way up to, uh, um, you know, the people up close to him, I think you can. And now his now Trump's bookkeeper, who's been keeping his financial records since the 1970s, has agreed to, to, to talk to the uh, investigators. I, I think it's obvious that Trump is involved in some misdealing, and I think if we find out with these charges and what Trump is done is serious enough, I think the Republican Party needs to be looking at impeachment. I was never one of these people that was screaming impeachment from day one, but I believe that we need to treat this as a serious matter, and if it turns out he's committed, committed a serious crime, that he should be um, that he should be um, removed from office. And I, you know, it's not even a political issue for me, because I disagree with Mike Pence probably more on the issues than I, I even agree with Donald Trump. But I think it's much better more than, much more about than just politics. It's also about the rule of law. And we need to make sure that our president has not, has, did not cheat his way into the office. Um, it may be necessary to even remove Pence and we may have to down the food chain with Paul Ryan. Um, do you think... Okay. Do you think that Mike Pence would be a better president than Donald Trump or a worse president? And, uh, to me, the, it doesn't matter on this point because I think the point is we need to make sure that our president... He's not a crook. But I actually think that... I actually do believe that he would her job of actually running the administration. Trump really pretty much just lets people around him run the administration. He, could, he can't run it for crap. He's to write a poem. Mike Pence has some brains. Um, and he could figure out... And he could actually run his administration. And I think he would be... A, I would feel... I could probably go to sleep at night knowing Mike Pence is president. Not agree with him one bit. But knowing that there is a man in the White House who is 
able to be present. He is, in my opinion, he is well, A, he is not, I doubt he is as corrupt as Donald Trump. No, and I believe he is probably a better, more, he's probably more moral than Donald Trump. Um, and so I think I would feel better than as president. However, I would not care. I, I, I think that's not what the point is. Even if I thought he would be worse than impeachment, because we need to make sure that our, our presidency, that our president is, you know, the same way Nixon, you know, like... He's not above the law. No, make sure that we keep our constitution and, you know, that our presidents are above the law. That is the most important thing. And, um, and, that we may, and then we make an example to future leaders that you can't get away with. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about this? No, we're early. Okay, so let's move on to election talk. It's time for the election talk segment of this show where we talk about the political election news from this week in terms of primaries and whatnot. So, first of all, let's get to the why. There were two primaries this Tuesday in the states of Wyoming and Alaska. Both are considered Republican states. So, um, both were won by Donald Trump and Mitt Romney by very large margins both times. So in the state of Wyoming, um, uh, Mark Gordon uh, will be well. He, well let's, let's talk about the uh, yeah. Let's talk about the Republicans first. So Tuesday was not just a bad night for Donald Trump because of uh, what happened with Cohen and uh, Manafort, but also because the man he endorsed for governor of Wyoming is not going to uh, did not win. Uh, Donald Trump endorsed former Christian evangelist uh, and life and big GOP donor Foster Fries for the Republican nomination to replace uh, term-limited governor, uh, Republican governor uh, Matt Mead for the Republican nomination. Um, However, Matt Mead, uh, Foster Fries did not win. Instead, Wyoming State Treasurer Mark Gordon will be the nominee. He narrowly took down Foster Fries. Uh, Originally, Foster Fries, he had the momentum on his side. He was leading in the polls. But then about a day uh, ahead or a couple days before the election, Mark Gordon took a giant lead in the polls and he ended up narrowly winning the nomination. On the Democratic side, Mary Throne the former minority leader of the Wyoming House of Representatives will uh, go up against him. She's hoping to be the first female governor of Wyoming. Many people don't. Um, uh, many people don't expect her to win um, because this is a Republican state. Although it should be noted, Dave Frudenthal was a Democratic governor from 2003 to 2011, though um, he was very popular in the state, and it's. Not expected that anybody will be able to uh, top his success. What were you, what were your thoughts on? First of all, what are your thoughts on Mark Gordon getting the nomination over the Republican endor- or the Trump endorsed Republican? And what are your thoughts on Mary Throne as a nominee? Before we move on to the next election, I think the fact that Trump endorsed candidate did not win the nomination shows that his grip on the Republican Party is loosening just ever so slightly, and that his base. I mean, he was, he won, I think, Wyoming. I mean, if he won in general, I think he might have won in the primary, too. Now, his base is it's not coming up from the way it used to, in that people, in, his base is still there, but, you know, I think sometimes they're willing to break with him, which is 
kind of an engine development. But I also think that it's very good that there is a that there's a woman as a nominee. It's always good to see. It would be very exciting to see the first woman governor of the state. Hmm. Um. Uh. Anything else you want to say on this? Not too much. I, I actually, I usually pay really close attention to the primaries. I didn't necessarily pay too close attention to this one, and you know, it's kind of like home five minutes, but. All right, so why don't we move on to the Senate race uh, in Wyoming. So this one also not expected to be contested. This was another bad thing for Trump. There is a businessman named Dave Dodson who was running for the Senate. He was challenging incumbent Republican John Barrasso. Now, Trump never officially endorsed Dave Dodson, but Dave Dodson ran on a much more Trumpian message um, than John Barrasso did. And he was expected... Um, Dave Dodson was expected to make the election pretty close, but instead, uh, John Barrasso, the incumbent, managed to win by a landslide. He got 64% of the votes. Uh, Dodson only got 28% of the vote. Do you think that this is a punch in the gut for the president? I think it's, I mean, that proves the power of incumbency more than anything else. But I think it shows that the president... I mean, we thought we'd seen with the two results in Wyoming that Republican voters in Wyoming may be not that keen as a president, as a figurehead of the party, um, mm. and that they kind of maybe want a different style of Republican. I think it's kind of where that I seem to be getting that feeling from the way Wyoming has kind of betrayed in both its primaries. Interesting. Now, what are your thoughts on another thing I should point out is that Gary Trowner the former congressional candidate for the House. There's only one House seat in Wyoming. He came close to winning it in 2006. Uh, He didn't come quite as close in 2008. He ran for the nomination. He did not win. Uh, Or no, he did win. Sorry, he did win the nomination, so he will face John Barrasso. But John Barrasso won with 76% of the vote in 2012, so it's expected to win again uh, by a landslide this year. But what's actually more interesting is the Alaska governor's race. So they had their primaries in Alaska. So four years ago, uh, Bill Walker, he was an independent. Currently, he's the only independent governor in the country. Um, He was able to defeat Sean Parnell. Sean Parnell was lieutenant governor to Sarah Palin, but he became governor after Palin's resignation as governor of Alaska. He won by a significant margin in 2010, but then in 2014, uh, Bill Walker gained momentum after the Democratic nominee, Byron Mallett, agreed to combine a ticket with him, and the Democratic Party of Alaska agreed to cross-endorse the independent Bill Walker instead of getting a Democrat to run. Um, And Sean Parnell, the Republican, um, even though he was... Affiliated with Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin actually endorsed Bill Walker over him, and that led to Bill Walker narrowly winning that race. Um, But now we have the Alaska governor's race uh, this year. Bill Walker has very, very bad approval ratings. Both Donald Trump and Mitt Romney won the state by a big margin. Um, But here's the thing. For a while, it was assumed that the Democrats would cross-endorse Bill Walker again, Um, But now it's looking like that's not going to be the case. Instead, it's looking like former U.S. Senator Mark Begich will be running for governor, and he's 
received the endorsement of the Democratic Party. He is the Democratic nominee. So now Bill Walker is all on his own with very, very low approval ratings. And now it seems as though former state senator Mike Dunleavy will be the Republican nominee for the Senate in Alaska. What are your thoughts on this race? Um, um, currently, it's believed that the Republican will win Mike Dunleavy because it's assumed that the uh, Independent and the Democrat will um, split the vote. Politics Weekly lists this race as leaning Republican. Um, what are your thoughts on this race? Do you think the Republican will win? Do you think the Independent and the Democrat will split the vote? Or do you think Bill Walker has a chance to get reelected? Or even does Mark Begich, the Democrat, does he even have a chance of winning? What are your thoughts on this primary and this race? I mean, I think that Mark Biden is somewhat of a popular figure in Alaska. And Bill Walker is not popular. Um, so I would say that Bill Walker true um many people are saying this is one of the most likely places where republicans might make a pickup in the governor's races but you are right he is pretty well known and he could even though it's looking like dunleavy he 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 might win but he could it's expected to win by a big margin he could make he could be very close between Begish and dunleavy and if dunleavy underperforms that's not great for the republicans Yeah. Well, some... I the map, that's the only state where I see a pickup that's possible. For a while, I thought Minnesota would be a possible pickup before Tim Pawlenty lost his primary, but after that, I'm like, I don't know if... I'm not sure. Do you think Tim Pawlenty would have had a chance, though? Because Tim Pawlenty was very unpopular amongst both Republicans and Democrats and Independents. He was, I mean, he won two terms, and he was fairly popular. Um, I think he would have had a better than Jeff, Jeff Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. He would have had a better shot than him, but now there's no chance. What about Colorado? I don't see that flipping. I mean, that, that's a slight possibility, but I don't. Yeah. I, I do not see that flipping. Yeah. I mean, it could. I mean, but there's about, there's about five or six seats that are pretty much guaranteed to flip for the, for the, for the Democrats. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin might, but yeah, New Mexico, I think definitely. I think, I think the lady running, Michael, Michelle Juan Grinham, I think her name is, I think she's going to win by a bigger margin than people are expecting. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she wins by like 26 points, which would be a ginormous margin, but I wouldn't be surprised if she wins by that, considering the unpopularity of Susana Martinez and considering New Mexico is a blue state. 
that state is probably, and also probably increased turnout because of the more ever interesting Senate race in that state now. Yeah, because of Gary Johnson now entering the Senate race. Yeah, so more people are going to come out and vote. Um, any, sorry, continue. Nope, I'm good. All right, so, um, why don't we continue, okay, so I think, is there anything else you want to say about the the election results from Tuesday? I think it's, I think it's really interesting what happened, especially in Wyoming. Um, what else interests me is the upcoming primary the Florida Democratic primary for governor is fascinating to me. Oh, yes. Um, and um, I am kind of of the opinion that the candidate I like has no chance of winning. It's very sad. Wait, who's, who's, your, who's the candidate you like? I like Chris King. Oh, Chris King. What about the one guy, the mayor of Tallahassee? Do you like him? Andrew Gillum is good on the surface but you dig deeper and you had to find that he's a problem. Um, like, he, he was the only candidate to, um, he said he would show up, and then he didn't show up for one of the debates in Tallahassee. Um, and then also he's kind of, he claims to be a bit aggressive, and even Bernie Sanders came down and endorsed him, but he does take corporate money, and he's kind of, he pretends, I am kind of unsure of him, and Chris King actually has done some really good things in his, in his um, business, and I think he would actually make a much better governor. I, th- I think any one of them would be a much better governor than Rick Scott. Yeah. Do you think Rick Scott think- could win the Senate? It's looking like it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't hope so, but I think it's completely within the realm of possibility. Yeah. I think I've listed that in North Dakota as the two most likely potential pickups for Republicans. Well, I, I, I would think that there is still more likely than, well, Indiana is more likely than but they don't have a well-known candidate in Indiana. That's the problem, is that Mike Braun isn't but really... But much more red state That's true. That's I, true. I think you might get those people who just go in there and vote Republican. Um, I mean, with Rick Scott, he's not well-liked. He's well-known, but not necessarily well-liked. He's kind of shown, I think. He's, he's well-known, but he does have good approval. His approval ratings have been ticking up a little bit. Yeah, he, he, made some, he made some good political moves pretty recently. Um, I think... I still, I would still say Bill Nelson's probably the favorite at this point, but that's changed pretty quickly. Yeah. And the polls are showing... The polls are showing got in the lead, but I'm just still not sure because I think Covency is so important. And that's just what I think that's yeah. That's why I think, and Nelson's always been popular. He's always won his elections pretty, pretty soundly. Um, even in 2012, when Obama won the state by like one point, he won his seat by ten. Yeah. Um, I don't think it will be that that well spread this time, but I, I, I still see him winning. It's fifty percent of the vote. Yeah. I still, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I, but yeah. I mean, the problem, though, is that in 2006, when he won by a landslide, and 2012, when he was running, he didn't really, he wasn't really a serious, he wasn't running against serious Republicans. He was running against uh, the one Florida recount lady in 2006, um, uh, something Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Captain Harris. 
Yeah, yeah, Catherine Harris. He ran against her. He won by a landslide. He won by he beat her by almost a million votes. Um, but again, she she wasn't a good candidate, and neither was the guy he ran against in two thousand and twelve. But Rick Scott is a serious candidate. That's the difference. I mean, the guy he ran against in twenty twelve. But he wasn't really serious about it, whereas Rick Scott is kind of more serious about it. And I, I don't know, I'm just looking at it, I, I kind of think it's very similar to the New Hampshire Senate race from 2016. But that could just be me. Yeah, that is an interesting way to bring that up. Yeah. But that could just be me. Um, but uh, anything else you want to say on this, or should we move on? Right now, Politics Weekly lists that as tilt Democratic. I, I think Phil Bredesen, it's tilted in his favor, but he he doesn't have, I mean, he has the momentum on his side. The big challenge is going to be the demographics. Can he still win over the demographics? I think if you go downstate in, New, in Tennessee, um, there are a lot of areas down there where he did very well in 2006 when he got reelected by nearly 40 points. But he, since then, they've moved very, very Republican, and he needs to turn them blue again, or he needs to at least turn them purplish again in order to win that race. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, mean, I think, again, this is one of those races where you really have a really good, you have a good Democrat, you have a good Democratic candidate kind of a more extremist Republican. And I think, you know, it brings you back to the 2006 Senate race um, in Tennessee when Harold Ford almost kicked it out. Um, I think it could be a repeat of that, or it might go the other way, and, and, and President might barely pull it out. Yeah. So, um, what else was I going to say? Oh, I can't remember, but... Do you think if, oh, I remember now. So, do you think, maybe this is too far ahead to think, but do you think that if, well, first of all, do you think Doug Jones is going to win in 2020 when he runs for a full term? And also, if Phil Bredesen wins, do you think he'll win a second term in 2024? I mean, 2020, I think politics in the South is changing, and I'm seeing this kind of happen now with Phil Bredesen, Stacey Abrams, Doug Jones. It's kind of changing, and it's in better award. Politics I kind of think that Doug Jones is going to lose the Senate race in 2020 because I think he's very much like a repeat of Scott Brown because Republicans in 2012, they did, or in 2010, they did really well in traditionally blue states. Um, But then in 2012, Massachusetts just kind of reverted back to being 
a blue state and they elected Elizabeth Warren. I think something like that's going to happen in Alabama. I think Alabama is going to revert back to being red. I think with Doug Jones, he got really lucky because I think Roy Moore would have won if not for the pedophile incident. Because I'm not sure. I still think he could have won it even without that. Um, I still think he could have won the election even if Luther Strange had been the nominee. Well, I don't know, because Luther Strange would have had the advantage of the incumbency on his side. I mean, but he wasn't like... I mean, Jeff Collier, based on Jeff Collier, this was his primary based on incumbency. It doesn't mean much of anything anymore. It's kind of, I mean, it means something if the incumbent is well-known and well-liked, like in the case of a Heidi Heitkamp. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I I just kind of feel because it was a, it was still a very narrow margin, so which I mean maybe that's just because it's Alabama, but I feel like if it were for something other than the pedophile scandal, it would have been a bigger we would have seen a bigger margin of victory. Yeah, but who knows? Um, is there anything else you want to say on the election issues? Not really. All right, so why don't we move on? A uh, very sad story. The body of Molly Tibbetts was found uh, dead, and the suspected murderer right now is, or I, I don't know if they've officially confirmed whether he's the murderer or not, um, was an undocumented immigrant, and that is made, like right now, Trump is trying to use that to, as a reason to build a wall, and some people think that, some people are with him, some people are trying to say that, yes, this is a reason, this is a perfectly legitimate reason why we should build the wall. Others are saying that this is wrong and that Trump should not politicize this incident. Some of Molly Tibbetts's fam, one of Mo- Molly Tibbetts's relatives even said that she didn't want her to be re- remembered in a political way. So, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, do you think that this is? I think it is, in typical Trump fashion, for him to go out there and try to use the death of a person as as a way to exploit that for political reasons. Um. And she, of course, can't make the decision. And who knows what her political beliefs were, but I think that's wrong. Um, just to do that blanket. Um, so, and obviously, you know, we're having the wrong conversation. Um, you know, we're talking about illegal immigrants. I don't think that's necessarily the We also need quite a to make sure that we are possibly, you know, because, I mean, the, the, the place for the, um, the suspects worked, um, believed him to be legal immigrants and all these things, and they did done the cops, the, 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 uh, they had done their checks with the, uh, available programs they had. And so I really don't think you can put the blame on the immigration system as much as you can say, okay, maybe we need to make sure that we're using the most up-to-date, um, programs for, um, making sure that people that are hired, um, are, um, who they say they are and stuff like that, because he, he likes um, yeah. And so really, I think that only comes down to maybe making sure that we that we're doing that, making sure that if they if the illegal immigrants commit a um, 
commits a violent crime that they are sent back to their home country. Um, you know, we can't do that. We cannot deport citizens, but I think we can only. I mean, of course, we want to try him. And we want to try him in, in United States courts, so he is um, punished to the full extent of the law. But I think there are some cases where we may want to, um, if someone has, you know, possibly if he wasn't going to get the life sentence or death sentence, just say after his sentence, send him back. But now, some people have said that um, toxic masculinity is to blame. Do you think that's the case or no? I mean, I don't really think that. I mean, there are always creepy serial murderers. I, I don't know if this. There's been a lot of incidents along that part of Iowa, and so I think some people claim he might have been more, he might have killed more than one person. Um, I think you, we've always had these creeps. And these creeps always exist, and I think it's just, I think it is more for mental illness. Um, and we need to make sure that we're addressing mental illness in our schools and um, in our society at large. We would have less of these incidents if we were making sure that people were able to get the treatment they need. Not all, not all, not, not, not at all. But I think it would, it would help bring down the amount of, uh, I think, especially serious murders. And it's really, we need to just continue focusing on education. And, you know, and I also believe, you know, for, of course not for stuff like murder, but, you know, for some crimes, I think rehabilitation is a much better prospect than um, hard jail time, and I think it actually means we will be able to get more people likely back into society, and I think, you know, it's a case-by-case basis, but there are some European countries that are currently at least experimenting with it, and and it's been really showing that getting more people back into society, and that's what we start looking all right, so um, let's uh, talk about uh, the. Do you want to talk? Do you have anything else to add on the story? Not really. Okay, so let's talk about the next story. So recently, Donald Trump has been attacking his attorney general, uh, Jeff Sessions, specifically because Jeff Sessions uh, decided to recuse himself from the Russia investigation, and Jeff Sessions has kind of been punching back. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think that Trump... Well, first of all, what are your thoughts on the job Attorney General Jeff Sessions has been doing? Do you think it was right for him to recuse himself? And what are your thoughts on Trump attacking him? Um, I mean, I think Jeff Sessions has, of course, done some things I disagree with, but I think he made the right decision in recusing himself. I mean, from what I've heard from from um, attorneys and from judges and from people, what experts in the legal field saying, he pretty much had the choice. He pretty much had to do that. Um, and so he made the only right decision early left to make that. And I think it's very wrong for Trump to be going out there saying, you know, yelling at Jeff Sessions, basically, because Jeff Sessions is doing his job and he's, he's putting his job ahead of political motivations that I think as much as I may disagree with him that he's doing that part of his job well. Okay. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add to that? Not really, other than the fact that, I mean, I think Jeff Sessions, there has been some, some policy has implemented the Justice Department that is, in my opinion, not the best policy. Like, he, he considered toughening rules on states that want to legalize marijuana, so that makes and, you know, I'm like, well, that's, that's a decision that the state should make and tell the public government does what it's supposed to do in Take care of that issue, but um, that's one of the things I'd like to do. Or is it, is it we're exploring, and I'm like, hmm, really? Um, but I think overall, he's he's been willing 
Trump. And I, I given how some of his cabinet members have sort of just been such a fan, like I, I kind of get some respect, even though he was a, he's a big supporter of the president like, policy wise. And he's going to just put his job over that. I really have to give him respect for that. All right. Uh, do you want to move on, or is there anything else you want to add? All right, so let's move on to the next story, uh, which is another very, very sad story. Um, now, I don't agree with John McCain on many issues. I'm a libertarian, so I don't. I especially don't agree with him on foreign policy issues. But uh, unfortunately, there was very, you know, he's still a war hero, uh, and I still respect him very much for his service. And there was very, very horrible, horrible, horrible news that came out this week, uh, just yesterday, I believe, that said that John McCain, apparently his family is now reporting that he is off of his cancer treatment. Um, he, you know, he stopped his cancer treatment and this means he could be dying soon. Um, uh, very, very sad news. Certainly I don't agree with many of the things that the Senator and former presidential candidate has done and said, um, but he still served our country. He was an amazing war hero, and it's horrible, horrible news. Whenever I hear a great man like that, you know, has you know, is going through that types of things. What are your thoughts on this very, very sad news? I think it is, a, it is a force very sad for the family and for him. But I also think it kind of when he when he eventually dies, I think it it is sort of really a moment when the last. In my opinion, one, or at least one of the few still remaining senators that really put his job over political expedience. Yeah. In, in the Republican Party. He is up there, you know, even though they don't agree on much, I think him and Bernie Sanders are probably two of the most honorable members of the U.S. Senate currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were good at what they believe in. They didn't let lobbyists get in the way of that. And I mean, Bernie Sanders doesn't. And, John McCain, I mean, he hasn't been really serving in the Senate, even though he's still technically a senator. He hasn't really been able to attend to many meetings due to his condition. But I think when he was able, when he was when he was a senator, he was really, he stuck to what he believed in. And he took that to the campaign trail. I watched a video of him this morning when he was at one of his rallies in 2008. And he, um, and you know, he could have riled up his crowd and, you know, said mean things about Obama, but he, you know, he, he took the classy road and he just said, you know, I respect my opponent, you know, what, what, what people, what some people are saying about him. And I think that, that one more thing, Obama, I mean, that McCain is truly a man of class and that we need people like that in politics regardless of necessarily what their opinions are. All right. Is there anything else you want to say on that, on this very horrible? No, I mean, it's yeah. very sad. It is, it is very, very sad. Why don't we move on to another story? So I probably should have put this in the election talk segment, but it is now being reported as of yesterday that Troy Balderson has won the Ohio special election. Last week, we reported that it was unknown who was the winner of this election. Um, you know, he, he, with 100% of precincts in, Balderson had a lead earlier in this in the week. Balderson's lead expanded, but as of yesterday, he's officially been declared the winner of the Ohio special election over Democrat Danny O'Connor. However, they'll have to run again 
against each other once again this November in the general election. Uh, what are your thoughts on Troy Balderson winning? Um, and uh, is this good news or bad news for Republicans? I think this is more of a case of the Democrats putting up a wishy-washy moderate. You know, that's not how you get the people to vote. You know, Danny O'Connor is a very centrist guy. He isn't for health, true health care reform. I don't think he's for marijuana legislation. These kind of these kind of Democrats are not going to be able to win tough races. These Democrats were out there advocating for progressive policy, and he wasn't doing that. And that's why the person did you got to win because yeah. race is completely marked, and that's really what we need. The change about the Democratic Party is have someone that's really willing to talk about the issues and really get people fired up. And also, because progressive policies are actually popular with the majority of Americans. So the Democrats are only doing them at the service of running a quote unquote monitor. All right, anything else you want to say on this issue? Oh, one more question I have for you. Uh, do you think that Danny O'Connor has a chance of, uh, of uh, winning the general election this November? Anything else you want to add, or should we continue on? Continue on. So, the final story we have uh, is about Ben uh, Jealous. Now, as you know, there's a contentious, as you probably know, there's a contentious governor's race in, uh, in the state of Maryland. The progressive candidate, uh, uh, Ben Jealous, the former president of the NAACP, won the nomination over Rushern. Uh, or uh, over Prince County Executive Rushern Baker, who was the establishment favorite. Um, however, um, uh, it's and here's the thing: both uh, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama won their won the state of Maryland by landslides in both 2016 and 2012, which has led some Democrats to think that um, they might have a chance here. It should be noted, however, that the incumbent Republican governor, Larry Hogan, is the second most popular governor in the country behind Charlie Baker in Massachusetts. He currently has a 68% approval rating. Um, uh, and currently, he has a lead in the polls. One uh, recent poll showed him leading Ben Jealous by nine points. Another recent poll showed him leading by almost 20 points. Um, however, many people... However... Larry Hogan has a uh, history against him as only one Republican governor uh, in the state of Maryland has won re-election, and that was back 60 years ago. Um, however, he's still hoping to uh, break the odds. However, can, uh, Democrats are hoping that demographics could help them out in this race to help Ben Jealous win the governor's race. However, currently, recently, <clears throat> excuse me, a controversy. There's a new controversy about Benjamin Jealous. So Ben Jealous was talking about um, the war on drugs, um, and he said um, 
Among the many reasons, he said in a tweet, he said, quote, among the, re- the many reasons to end the failed war on, dr- on the drugs is the way it has corrupted too many police officers. Uh, a Twitter user named uh, Capone Official uh, replied saying, yet people still believe cops are saints and Freddie Gray killed himself. Bleep. Blue Lives Matter and these dirty bleep cops. I'm bleeping them out because they're very vulgar vulgar words. Um, you aren't a cop if you're dirty. You're a target in the to the criminal world. Uh, if you get killed, dot dot dot. That's on you. Ooh. Hashtag G A B O S. I think uh, if you referring to cops get killed, that's on you. He was referring to cops. Um. So, um, he, so this was a very vulgar tweet and Ben Jealous's campaign came under fire because his official campaign account actually liked this tweet. So here's what he said. Um, uh, here's what the, uh, an official spokesperson, uh, Kevin Harris, an official spokesperson for the Ben Jealous gubernatorial campaign said this as Ben quote as Ben has said on several occasions he values and respects law enforcement including the several members in his own family who have worn the badge and are currently serving however Governor Larry Hogan's campaign seized upon this chance um, and said here's what the Hogan campaign spokesman Doug Mayer said quote this sort of vulgar and divisive rhetoric is beyond troubling it's dangerous. He said this in an email to the Baltimore Sun. He continues, It's outrageously beco- uh, unbecoming for a candidate for governor and, uh, and an insult to the brave men and women in uniform who put their lives on the line every single day. Ben Jealous owes the law enforcement community an apology. Um, so, uh, and Ben Jealous actually came under controversy earlier this month when um, when a reporter asked him in an interview uh, if he was a socialist, and he responded, Are you bleeping kidding me? Uh, later apologized for what he called, quote, inappropriate language. Um, so right now, Ben Jealous is coming under controversy for uh, liking this comment uh, about cops um do you think what are your thoughts on this do you think Ben Jealous was in the wrong well first of all you, you, actually let's let's say this do you think Ben Jealous was in the wrong um and he's oh and he's also trying to make the what Ben Jealous is saying is the reason he liked it was because a staffer accidentally hit like on the tweet so do you um what are your thoughts on Ben Jealous liking this tweet what are your thoughts on the staffer liking it um, and, um, uh, do you, uh, what are your thoughts on the staff are liking it and do you support Ben Jealous and what do you think are his chances of winning the governor's race against Larry Hogan this year? You know, I, I think that this controversy shows, uh, there's a huge racial divide in America. And this, and I think we really need to kind of come together on this issue. I think, you know, it's completely plausible that his 
staffer accidentally hit like. I mean, I use Twitter and I get how easy. I've accidentally liked things before. I get how that could happen. Um, that is not that is not impossible for me to believe. Um, but um, I think even if it was intentional, I do believe that there are significant cases that would make that I think people should be upset about what's happening in our country. And I really think there is, we need to put a lot of focus on reforming our law enforcement. And I think that, and I, I, I have trouble getting mad at Ben Jealous for liking that, even if he and did like it and that he wasn't a staffer accidentally did it. And if he asked you to do it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily blame him. It's not the words I would use. And I don't think it's the words Ben Jealous should be using. But I think there are a lot of cases of police officers innocently killing black people, and I think that's a big issue. It's definitely a bigger issue than conservatives make it out to be. We need to continue this, but I, I don't think the way to do it is through language. But ultimately, with, you know, when you just see people getting killed less than right, it's hard not to get very angry. Um, I think Ben Jealous has the right ideas on policy. I think he would be a tremendous governor of the state of Maryland. Um, I think his chances, just because he's running against an incumbent, it makes it harder. But then again, it's in a state that leans blue. It's in a year that is going to be pretty hopefully likely for the Democrats. I'd say he has a better shot than it looks on paper, but it's, it's still an uphill battle given that he's running against a popular incumbent. But yeah. Because he is a candidate, and he's a good candidate, and it's a blue state. It's not an impossible proposition, but I, I'm still not holding my breath, but I will be, if he loses, I will be very sick of it. I think he, he could really help to reform the state. I think Larry Hogan, even though he's somewhat popular, I, I think you need, we need someone who is not going to dismiss the issue of police brutality. You cannot allow someone to, Larry Hogan is not an expression that often what I can tell. Yeah. Um, you just have someone that's just going to brush that off. Right. So obviously, Ben Jealous feels pretty strongly about that issue. Uh, yeah. I do believe, oh, I, I believe him that, you know, sometimes you get fired up. And I think that he would, based on his experience, he would know how to take very, very calculated and very um, effective actions to help reduce the, the problems in his own state where there's a lot of problems with that issue in his state. And um, and I think he would be, I think that, that's a issue an issue that would make him a great governor. Because A, he has family who, who serve in the law enforcement and he's worked with the AANZP. Uh, NAACP. Yeah, I think I messed that up. Um, yeah. So I think his experience with that organization and with his family and I think all that, he would be very good on this issue and he could really help uh, turn Maryland around on that issue and, and across the board. And I think that's why he would be. I think if he became governor, he would likely be one of the best governors in the country. Yeah, I think Larry Hogan will win by a significant margin, just because if it won't he be, it won't be significant, I think Brooklyn's it'll be close. Um, right, but like if it's a five-point race, that that would be a huge deal. Yeah, I'm just thinking that he might win by a bigger margin than that because um, if you go back to 2006, the Democrats did super well that year. I mean, the Democrats, the Republicans gained zero seats in the House. 
I mean, that barely ever happens. And the, but the Republicans gained zero seats, and the Republican and the Democrats took back the House, they took back the Senate, and they took back the governor's uh, mansions all in one year. But if you look at Hawaii, uh, where there was uh, a popular incumbent at the time, a popular Republican incumbent in one of the most blue states in the country, Linda Lingle won in Hawaii, the Republican, by a landslide. She won by a blowout margin. And if you look at Connecticut, uh, which is another blue state, the Republican there, the incumbent Republican there, won by a massive blowout. Um, so I think, in, in, even though it was a wave year for Democrats, so I think Larry Hogan has a chance to actually win by double, maybe even double digits. But um, I, 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 here's, here's my thing. I'm a libertarian, but I do think, I do agree that there does need to be a lot of criminal justice reform, uh, you know, and then I also agree that the war on drugs needs to be ended, uh, very much so, um, but I do think that this was a bad tweet that he liked, um, however, I am willing to accept that it was a staffer, because, again, um, if you know anything about, you know, about, like, a lot of politicians that are currently in power, a lot of major politicians that I know, they don't like their own stuff on Twitter. I don't know about you, but a lot of politicians I know don't, most of them don't like, don't post their own stuff on Twitter. If you see a response from, uh, on Twitter about something major from a politician, typically it's not from that politician. It's somebody else wrote it and then the politician will, um, approve of that. And then they'll post if they approve of that they'll post it on Twitter and the staff is typically the staffer is typically the one that owns that account, um, but we have seen controversies where staffers you know accidentally like things that maybe a politician shouldn't be given attention by a politician's base. I mean, look at last year when Ted Cruz liked that one tweet, that one porno- that one tweet that uh, or his account liked a tweet that promoted uh, a pornography website. I mean, that was, that was, a, I mean, that was all because of a staffer forgetting to log out before they did their own stuff. Um, but, um, but here's, here's, here's the thing though, is I'm not going to say that the staffer should be fired if he made a mistake, if he made one mistake, but it's the same thing with that I said about Ron Paul, because Ron Paul, I'm a big fan of Ron Paul, but he posted a tweet that I thought was, or he posted a tweet that I thought was pretty, or he posted a cartoon which I thought was a little bit offensive. It, the, the question is, has that staffer at least been given a talking to? Don't, they don't need to fire them if it was just a, a, a simple mistake, but were they at least given a talking to? You know, about, you know, you shouldn't like this, you should be more more careful about this. Um, that That's my main thing. I don't know how you feel about that. I think, you know, in my opinion, it, it comes down to what the candidate believes and if the candidate believes that what the, whatever happens was really the problem, that, that, that they can take that reaction action accordingly. I mean, really, if you want to have a good response from the public, you should probably say, this per- you know, this person was talked to and um, we're going to keep him on, you know, the stake and all that. Or if it was really bad fire, you know. But I, I don't think this case merits that. I think it could have, he may not have even meant to like it, you know. 
Yeah. Is there anything else you want to... Well, first of all, do you think that social media may be affecting some celebrities, not just politicians, but also some celebrities? Because we saw recently with James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, he got kicked off of the third film because they found old tweets from him that like made jokes about pedophilia and whatnot. So do you think that that could be uh, something that might be of concern? Definitely, and it should really people have to be much more careful now what they say because they you know it's recorded online and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it, 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 I think in the world of politics, it's good because it means that we're either eat more easily able to hold our public officials accountable. In the world of celebrities, it's more easy because then we're just it makes it easier for us to invade on their privacy, um, more of just you know a problem. Um, I don't like. Yeah. So, is there anything else you you want to say on this? No, not really. Other than the fact, I mean, I think that, and it just, I mean, the Hogan, I mean, not Hogan, but uh, Jealous made his made his statement. I think his statement was, you know, I think he was, you know, an honest statement. I, I think, I think he truly wants to be a mender of the people of the state. I don't think he's a divisive radical. I don't think he's that at all. I think he's a very Well, he could always run again if he loses. He could always run again in four years. But um, uh, anyways, so and of course, in four years there won't be an incumbent run unless he's the incumbent. Unless he does manage to win, if Larry Hogan wins, there won't be an incumbent running in twenty. Uh, 22 due to term limits, so he could always run then. Uh, so those are all the stories. Thank you for coming on, Jack. Uh, we'd love to have you on another time. Before you go, though, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you through social media? If you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is still at vote, vote, 18. If you want to find me on Instagram, you can follow my personal page at uh, at Jack at Jack Ferguson underscore KS. I don't only manage my campaign page anymore. Those are my two main like public um, accounts. Um, of course, I have some private posts from you, but I'm not going to share that because you know that's for me and my friends. <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, um, you have. Those are my two public accounts that I, I mean, I run my own social media, so if I respond uh, to it, to uh, anyone that's actually responding to you. All right. Um, so thank you for coming on. We'd love to have you on again at some point. No problem. It was great being on. All right. Thank you for coming on. No problem. Thanks. Bye.